and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which forages for the bigger issues in the latest food books. This week, I am with the vegan queen, retreat chef and recipe consultant, Bettina Campolucci-Bordi, whose new book, Celebrate, is about flavours from around the world, influenced by her own peripatetic childhood and her Scandi Bulgarian parentage. But most of all, it's about wellness and conscious cooking, dressed up for a great big party. The Swedish sandwich cake is my grandmother's, so that sort of brings back memories from both my grandmothers. My my other grandmother was Bulgarian. The leek dip is one of my favourite ingredients. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me of the 80s and parties and being together and it makes it makes me warm and fuzzy. <laughs> As we head towards the festive season, I asked her what Christmas looked like when she was growing up in Tanzania and Sweden with a Danish father and a Norwegian-Bulgarian mother. There's a Bulgarian tradition that you celebrate just before Christmas where all of the dishes are completely plant-based and that's the last day of the fast before Christmas, which you also do for Easter. So that would be the first celebration, which would normally be on the 23rd. On the 24th, we would celebrate Norwegian Christmas. And on the 25th, we would celebrate Danish Christmas. And to this day, in our household, we do the 23rd, the Bulgarian tradition. 24th, because I grew up in Sweden as well, we'll do the Scandinavian Christmas. And the 25th now, we celebrate English Christmas. Wow. So, and, and <laughs> moving around that much, I mean, I moved around as a child as well. I, I'm an army child, so we moved every three years. And it's really interesting to move from massively different cultures, from Malaysia to Germany to England, in, in, in my case. Oh, gosh, um, yes. You know, so you're, you're, you're brought up with a lot of different smells and lots of different temperatures and lots of different food environments and it really does make you think very differently about food doesn't it were you aware of that or when did you become aware of the influence of all that travel on the way that you eat um i think from a really early age uh our family was not the sort of family that you know we would remember which museums we went to we would remember what restaurants we went to what what food markets we went to or what you know, the favourite dish of the holiday. So all my memories from travels, you know, are all linked to food or ingredients somehow or smells, as you say, which is a really good point. Um, So I think it's massively influenced me also in the way that I cook today. I always get influenced by the places that I go to, make use of the ingredients that I'm sort of discovering um, and finding different ways of cooking with them, which really excites me to this day. Now, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about your book is I'm very interested in plant-based recipes. I'm very interested in in veganism as a movement to save the planet. Um, You know, I'm firmly of the belief that we need animals on the land. Regenerative farming and veganism as part of that mix is great because it takes a lot of young people in particular out of the meat market and they tend to be eating factory farmed meat because they can't afford to eat the high welfare meat. But what I really liked about yours is that actually the book presents itself as celebration first and plant celebrations second uh the it's full of really interesting and wonderful flavors and ideas from around the world how much are you about plant and wellness and saving the planet versus really interesting recipes i think it's really important to pinpoint that i'm not a preacher 
I'm not here to tell you what to do or how to live your life. And for me, it's not black and white. And as you mentioned, which is a really good point, I am for regenerative farming. I am for supporting people that are doing wonderful things in this country and and, and in the world. And I think that's a really important point to to come across. I don't think it's about being vegan or non-vegan because there are people that are omnivores and vegans that are are, are not conscious consumers. And I think being conscious about what you consume in every single aspect is, is really important. So what I try to do is inspire people to add more colors, more variations and more recipes to their repertoire, which will hopefully make them make better choices in the future and Mm. sort of to educate on different varieties and different ingredients and really pinpoint on on what's in season and what's local. And if you can start off there uh, and build from that, then then that's really, really great. And just having a little think about where your food comes from, regardless of what genre you you belong to, is is really important. And, And making doing the best that you can within the means that you have is really important to to sort of pinpoint. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking I have l- hundreds of cookbooks, um, obviously. But, you know, I if I'm looking for Hanukkah or Pesach, I will go to Nigella's Feast because I want Jewish traditional food with a Nigella spin. That's what that's about. If I want to do a really good Christmas for my vegan daughters... I will look at vegan books like Bosch. Um, I'm going to try your wonderful Christmas recipes this time because actually, you know, mushrooms I know are absolutely key to a really good a vegan Christmas, but I'm really interested in your gravy. Gravy is really difficult, but it's about getting the richness right. And you've used miso and soy and balsamic and, and again, mushrooms, but with miso roasted potatoes and onions. It just sounds absolutely delicious. So a book like yours enriches our library and gives us an, an option for those feast times. Is that what you tried to set out to do with this? Yeah, one? 100%. And also, if we think about it, nowadays, if you're a family of 10, sitting around the Christmas table. There there will be one pescatarian, there'll be one dairy-free, there'll be one gluten-free, there'll be one vegan, there'll be one, you know, what whatever. And I think the goal with this book was to be able to go choose something at a holiday and then tick off all the boxes, make sure that everyone at the table can enjoy those dishes, regardless of sort of what uh what group you belong to because that can be so so difficult to try and tick off all the boxes um you know i do a lot of uh, retreat chefing on wellness retreats and things like that and you know you have to tick off so many boxes exactly i was just about to bring you on to that one actually because i cook for the writing and the yoga retreats that we do at my house as well and i'll just always do plants because it looks so beautiful on the plate for a start but also it just absolutely ticks everybody's boxes everybody loves plants not everyone loves dairy not everyone loves meat but everyone loves plants tell us more about those retreats you do them all over the place bali mongolia panama ecuador um are they your retreats or are you the retreat chef um it completely depends so on some retreats i am the retreat chef and i rock up and i cook 
and some of the retreats I run myself or I run in partnership with. Uh, so Reclaim Yourself is a company that I collaborate with, but also do sort of standalone retreat chefing with. And then the Bali retreat that I run, used to run a couple of times a year, <laughs> considering that we're, we're in the situation that we've been in for the last couple of years. Hopefully they'll be able to do it next March, um, is a retreat that I run by my, run solely myself and it's got cooking at its core um and we go and visit an organic farm and sort of really experience balinese culture fully yeah. which is let's talk about wellness and zero waste being at the heart of what you do as we go through some of your food moments uh, you your first food moment is the savory swedish sandwich cake which looks extraordinary um i've never seen anything quite like it actually but this is an homage to your norwegian grandmother um and it comes from when you were growing up in sweden now scandinavia is has has been very sustainable it's very kind of careful and conscious uh, about it's the way its people eat and look after themselves is that what this is all about or is this just a celebration of ingredients it's a celebration of ingredients but there is you know there's a there's a lot of sprinkles of waste not philosophy throughout the book of using everything and, you know, I've got a couple of recipes with aquafaba, which is the, the chickpea water residue that you get from tinned chickpeas. And I think the sort of waste-free style of cooking is, again, it's so the now, but it's been something that I've been doing since I grew up because ingredients were really precious, you know, growing up in East Africa, in Tanzania. My Norwegian grandmother that lived in Sweden used to, we used to forage, you know, she was very green fingered in all of her garden, you know, every single year we would be making jams and cordials and all sorts. So there's definitely sprinkles of that throughout the book and using sort of ingredients that are quite normal, <laughs> Uh, without <laughs> fuss-free ingredients, you know, a homage to the humble potato and carrots and cabbages and and that sort of thing, and really making those hero vegetables sing and being the hero of the plate. Why, so, make, it, why make it a cake? This this Swedish sandwich cake. Tell us about that. Is that a typical Swedish dish? It's a typical Swedish thing. So you normally make that with, you can do it with charcuterie or you, you do it with uh, very often with seafood and top it off with shrimp. Um, it's just something that you do. It's a very, <laughs> it's quite a grandmothery dish. It's something that my grandmother used to do and she used to make beautiful ones. And it's just a, it's something that you would do in the summer. And it's a great option to sort of a a sweet cake. So yes, it's it's a traditional Swedish thing that does exist and has existed for for a long time. Um, is it an actual cake? So what you do is um, you layer toast toast bread. So you you layer slices of bread, and you have different layers. So 
um, you'd normally use things like cream cheese or mayonnaise. And then in the different layers, you'd sort of put charcuterie or pickles or seafood. And then you decorate it with shrimp and smoked salmon, cucumbers, lettuce. So I've gone the other way and I'm, I've colored, <laughs> I've got a beetroot hummus and I've got a spinach hummus. And we're using smoked tofu to sort of get that smoky flavor. You can uh, layer it with gherkins and capers. Um, and, and then you yeah, slice through options. it. And you slice like- through it and you get this beautiful sort of multicolored uh, slices. So I- I'm a savory person. So for me, I would be so happy if somebody made this instead yeah. of a, a sweet cake for a birthday or a celebration or feasting the party food um the herb crostinis with leek and tahini dip this is your second food moment now this is the sort of thing that you will see at a lot of parties i certainly do now um where most things are plant-based largely because as you say there's going to be so many people at a party who have dietary preferences that it's much much easier for everyone just to do plants absolutely yeah so take us through this one uh so leeks one of my favorite favorite ingredients i think it's so underappreciated i think people find them slightly fussy because you know you have to wash them properly and they can come quite muddy sometimes but they are such a fantastic ingredient um and especially if you sort of cook them down until they're nice and sweet and it's just a really simple dip that you can make with the tahini that makes it really nice and creamy and crostini's I'm a child of the 80s, so anything like that with sort of a garlicky garlic bread and you sort of work your way from the outside towards the inside and you just get a big chunky dollop of creamy leek dip and, you know, it's a winner. Yeah. It's great yeah. and easy. easy. You've got hundreds of recipes in here, so it seems. Why, when I ask you for four, uh, four food moments, did you choose those? Um... I think my the the my the Swedish sandwich cake is my grandmother's, so that sort of brings back memories from both my grandmothers. My my other grandmother was Bulgarian. The leek dip is one of my favourite ingredients, and it just sort of yeah, it, it it reminds me of the eighties and parties and being together, and it makes it makes me warm and fuzzy. <laughs> Your third. Uh- food moment takes us back into your travels you wouldn't necessarily associate south korea with plant-based food although kimchi uh, is probably the, the the queen of the plants um why did you choose the korean style feast it's one of my favorite places to visit i've been m- many times to south korea uh, over the last 15 years it's just one of the cuisines that i sort of always include in my books it's i love going to the super korean stores and literally stocking up on lots of korean ingredients and it's just one of those cuisines that i keep going back to so when you go to korea and you go to a restaurant and you order one dish it'll instantly come with five to ten side dishes and that way of eating really appeals to me i love having more you know don't give me one plate. Give me at least four or five to choose from. I'm that really annoying person that has to order half of the menu. Well, that's a real thing, isn't it? I mean, small plates is a, is a wonderful way of, of sharing plates and having lots of different textures, colours. So take us through the cauliflower and the celeriac and apple slaw. Um, I mean, for the, for the cauliflower, for example, you can get gochujang paste in any 
Asian supermarket now. Um, and maple syrup and, of course, sesame seeds. I mean, it's pretty easy to do. The celeriac and apple slaw doesn't feel very Korean. Is it just the idea of the the slawing, the the kind of the kimchiing uh, that you 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 put on that plate? Um, in when you go to Korea and you sort of go to a Korean barbecue, which is meat based, um, you get lots of different side dishes, and one of the side dishes that you get is sort of a sweet apple slaw with apples and um, white cabbage. So I, I've done an interpretation. So it's it's obviously, this is not typically Korean. It's inspired by Korean flavours. Um, so there's sort of an element of everything in there. There's the spiciness from the gojujang that goes really well with the sweet apple slaw. And you've got the steamed rice. And the idea is that you create your own bite. So you've got the nori sheets or you've got lettuce cups. And then you add a little bit of everything into that vessel. And then you you put it all in your mouth at the same time. And then there's a flavor explosion. Yeah. So that aspect takes off sort of the... the it's Korean inspired yeah. through the meals that I've yeah. shared um and and flavors that i've had but sort of my own interpretation of, of yeah those. and you and you continue with your own interpretations in your final food moment which is the pistachio date and custard phyllo parcels there there are so many things going on here i mean you say you're a big custard fan um but it's something your mother used to make for you as a child and it brings back memories of living and growing up in east africa can't imagine custard phyllo parcels or pistachios or well you'd probably get dates in east africa but custard phyllo parcels so phyllo pastry is very much a bulgarian thing uh we make lots of different things with phyllo pastry the custard which is a food food memory from my childhood so (laughs) i decided (laughs) to marry everything together and put it all into one beautiful little bite so you've got so they're, they're little triangles so it's almost like a custard samosa so when you cook it and you eat it warm you've got this amazing flavor of custard coming through and then you've got the maple crust on top with pistachio sprinkles and they look impressive but this is something that is so easy to make and you know I've always thought when you're entertaining and when you're cooking for a lot of people you want to be able to pre pre do quite a few steps to get ahead so that you do have time to entertain and this is one of the many recipes in the book that is just like that. You can pre-prepare everything and all you need to do is pop them in the oven and serve them. This is what you do, isn't it? This, As a recipe consultant, you bring ideas together. You go dig, dig deep into your food memories and you pull out all the glorious things that can only be your own food memories. And you play around with them until you've got something that you think would appeal to other people. Tell us about that part of your life as a recipe consultant. Who are you working for? And what did, what were the briefs? Um, It completely depends. So I do lots of recipe development for brands um, and collaborations. So it depends. Um, I'm the brand ambassador for Vitamix at the moment. So I'm doing uh, a year with them. And then it completely depends. I did, I recently did a recipe pairing for a whiskey company called Lefroig, which was really random, but it was great. And, you know, it's a established Scottish traditional brand uh that wanted somebody that was plant-based to sort of 
uh, do some recipe development for them. So uh, there's an ad <laughs> on the Food Network with me in it, uh, drinking whiskey and cooking. <laughs> And that's really interesting because their whole advertising campaign is that some people don't like it. Yes. Which makes it quite difficult to pair with. Pairing is is something that people love to do now. It's a whole uh, experience. It makes you think again about the alchemy of food. It's not just sitting down and eating with friends. It's, you know, there's another opportunity for you to really think about flavours and how they work with other stuff and, and to be inspired so that sitting down and 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 tasting all these different flavors can leave you feeling really quite inspired to go out and <laughs> do things yourself absolutely yeah it's i mean is that what you do at your retreats do you kind of encourage people to think more about how you can put two flavors together uh yeah definitely and it's about showcasing how to use and eat different ingredients and inspiring people to do so and i think the really important thing and the essence of retreat cooking for me is taking people on a food journey um from 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 day one it's like telling a story and you start off softly and then you sort of move into the middle of the week and then you go out with a bang and it's almost not re-educating people, but it's educating and taking people on a food journey of, of what is possible. So you definitely, I you know, the first meal, I call the first meal a hug, meaning you are going to be okay for one week. I'm not going to starve you. It's not going to be, <laughs> it's going to be, and I always add influences and, and dishes that are very recognizable so that everyone sort of breathes a sigh of relief and goes, okay, I'm here and you're going to look after me and I feel safe. And then you can sort of add different influences and different sort of storylines as you go throughout the week um, and really sort of guide people through it, which is what I love about retreat chefing and, and what makes it quite different to sort of um, the, 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 the usual chefing where people come into a restaurant and have a meal. Uh, where you also take people on a story it's just a shorter amount of time mm. yeah and and that is what's so important we do need to be thinking very differently about food we need to change the conversation and we have to get people excited about how that conversation is changing so that it doesn't feel punitive it feels exciting to embrace new ideas and new flavors so Ideally, you send those people off out into the world ready to try new things, um, inspired by new pairings. Give us your favourite pairing, real celebration of two flavours that are a real mashup. I'm, I'm thinking uh, from your book, tarragon and maple glazed carrots on chestnut mash, savoury pumpkin focaccia with pesto, roasted cauliflower and fennel on peas smash, all of which I'm going to try. Gosh, that is so hard. Mm, you know what? The I think there's uh, the saffron, saffron panna cotta with the poached beetroot poached pear. Mm. Yes, that's an interesting flavour combination. And I know that not everyone is a fan of saffron. I really am, and it's def that's again got to do with food memories you know, living and growing up in Sweden for my formative years. Um, saffron is used quite a lot and especially in sort of ce celebratory um, dishes. So that's quite an interesting pairing there, I would say. 
thanks for listening and Bettina will be hosting the Cooking the Book Supper Club at my house in East Sussex on November the 24th she'll be serving blinnies with herbed almond feta and figs and a medley of mains email me at jilly at jillysmith.com for more information and sign up for the newsletter which will tell you more about the supper clubs every month at jillysmith.com and I'll see you next week when I'm with Claire Finney on her new book The Female Chef